Hi Sachin. Hi Dinkar. So in the last one, we uh, thought that we'll discuss the topic of assets and products even more. So I think uh, let, let's let's spend as much time as needed on assets. Absolutely. And uh, last thing, what we left with is we wanted to know how any enterprise can discover assets within their uh, organization. So the first step for even discovering assets is that how to identify what to assetize. Right. Uh, do you have a certain uh, thought process around that in terms of when do you convert something to asset and when uh, you convert something to not an asset, but uh, let's say a playbook or something like that? Right. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, let me first call out what a non-asset could be, at least in the context of this conversation, right? We already established we are not discussing products. That's a separate no. now within the organization. You know, all of us have these personal efficiency tools, uh, things we do to make ourselves efficient. And uh, many times we uh, share them with few more folks. And uh, because uh, they are useful for other people who are in the similar scenario. And uh, some of them have the scope of being used by some other set of folks in the uh, in the organization who may have the context of why you built it, who built it, yes. or they may not have that context, right? And therein, something which was a utility for a small set of users shows the promise of becoming uh, an asset. So I think uh, assets, uh, I, I see that uh, assets have five characteristics, right? And probably we can discuss uh, each one of them. The first one, uh, the most common one, I think, is assets should encode knowledge. What I mean by that is, um, you know, uh, uh, people don't like discussing it, but people leave organizations, uh, you know, you and I have left organizations. We may switch that in future, right? And what becomes very important is that um, we leave something behind, um, which um, takes our place. And I think that if we start encoding knowledge that people have, uh, it is a very good practice. And the most common form of doing that is document right, uh, document your code, um, write a separate document, create a video, create a presentation, and kind of share your knowledge that way, right. But the key difference between an asset and sharing your knowledge is that sharing a knowledge implies that I will explain something and someone will understand. And then they will make it a part of their day to day working, right. What asset can do is that it can encode this knowledge into something which is eminently reusable, but someone may, may want to, but they don't have to learn everything about it, what it encoded, how it encoded, what was the learning, and they can just start using this and produce output, which is at the same level as someone who understood it very well, had quote unquote done doctorate on that subject, right? So encoding Absolutely. of knowledge becomes very important there. Yeah, um, absolutely. And you had other characteristics, right? 
Yes. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so th that was around uh, encoding the knowledge. The next one was uh, again something very common, and I think something that excites the managers a lot is it should encode some form of efficiency or effectiveness. All right. So um, basically, process. Uh, yeah. So one thing I want to call out is that um, the heading probably is how to discover assets in your ways of working. Right. So there. Hmm. What it implies is that what, what we're trying to capture is in your ways of working, what are the things and uh, what may happen is that um, let's say this uh, organization is uh, creating two products Correct. and team A has come up with some way of uh, doing something faster. Now, a typical approach would be quote unquote knowledge sharing if that happens in that organization and they'll say, this is what we do. And then next set of organization uh, team, they listen, they understand, they have a discussion, they create their own version of it. Uh, so they, they, there is in some ways um, uh, time that gets uh, utilized, which probably can be avoided if uh, there is a way to encode that uh, efficient way of doing something in form of a tool, an accelerator, a framework, a document, uh, all the kind, and tell the team be, hey, you know what, follow these instructions and things will happen, right? And that is very critical, right? That uh, this, this is beyond knowledge sharing, right? It does not require the other teams to spend time understanding uh, what you're doing, but if they follow the instructions, if they follow the tool, if they do what has been told without having to apply themselves and bunch of people, they just copy, copy, replicate, 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 and they inherit on the efficiencies uh, that was coming in. That, that's the second one. Third one is very interesting. I like comprehensiveness, right? It encodes comprehensiveness. Uh, what I mean by that is, uh, let's say an organization, a large enterprise has uh, three engineering managers and one engineering manager has 20 years of experience, one engineering manager has 10 years of experience, another one has some years of experience. All of them have come from different backgrounds. They have uh, faced different kind of complexities in their careers. They have solved different kind of problems and we carry our learnings with us. What we don't realize is sometimes when we carry our learnings with us like this, our ways of working have been shaped by the problems we have faced or the good practices we have seen. But that does not mean that the problems that we have seen or the good practices we have adopted are the complete set of problems anyone would have faced or complete set of, right? But if you combine these three set of folks and uh, you kind of combine their experiences, you combine their lessons learned, and um, now uh, each one of them uh, would be instead of one, you know, two plus two plus two, six, you know, they would be probably two plus two, four to eight, um, right? Uh, maybe I should have picked some better number which kind of sh shows the scale between. Yeah, uh, but adding your point is, yeah. Dinkar, your point is absolutely valid uh, and I, I echo that feeling. Uh, many times when there are documents, let's say that, uh, and going back to your three points, which is knowledge, efficiency, effectiveness, and comprehensiveness, uh, there will be different experiences, different 
leaders and different people across your organizations will accumulate over the period of time when they are building something, when they are actually working with the customers. And they are searching for place to contribute this knowledge in a living form. Right. When it is a document, document is rarely a living form. It, it is something which you go as knowledge repository, but it is not something which is practiced, which is used, which is on a regular basis. And the beauty of asset is that it is practiced, it is used. So I am evolving it. It is living, breathing thing. So when I am gathering new experiences or let's say uh, there is a change in terms of uh, some parameters which are external to me, now those can contribute, uh, get contributed back into the system rather than we thinking, hey, um, uh, let me just uh, accumulate enough knowledge so that I can go and update that document and make version 2.0. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the advantage it brings uh, <clears throat> is that, um, uh, you know, it, it brings scale, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, you learn uh, something, you encode it, now it's available to everyone. And it's available to everyone historically in, uh, you know, uh, old users, new users, and the way it spreads, right? Uh, otherwise, in case of knowledge, you know, large enterprise have a huge uh, effort. They spend a lot of time in evangelism, uh, right, right. Uh, of this new practice. Then they will do internal marketing. They will put it up on uh, internal intranet pages. Um, and they would do videos around it and they will go and talk to people. It becomes an effort to push this knowledge to everyone else. And then probably they'll create a TikTok version of that interesting learning. So people watch it, right? But once it has been encoded in the tool, um, the tool has learned it and it's comes, uh, you know, becomes part of what you're doing, right? And therein um, comes uh, the most, um, uh, the, the most original form of an asset that is it can codes uh, repeatability, uh, right? Uh, the whole code reuse, uh, how it started was that I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again. Let me create a function out of it. Let me create a library out of it. So I don't have to recreate that code over and over again. Bring that thought process to practices also, uh, right? So I'm doing the same set of activities over and over again. Everyone is going to do that over and over again. Can we just encode it in some tools so everyone does not have to spend two, three hours doing the same thing? And they just, uh, and uh, finally, uh, the fifth one is uh, it encodes um, usability. What I mean by this is, um, um, and uh, Sachin, I'll kind of draw on some experiences you and I have in our workplaces. A lot of people have these awesome tools, which are, you know, there's some open source tools awesome, very useful written in Python. Now uh, I have to, uh, I have to learn Python like, yeah, maybe it's a good driver to learn it, but now I have to learn it, then I have to install it, then I have to use it, then I have to figure out what went wrong. And th there's such a learning curve for, for those things, right? If this is such a useful thing, maybe you can invest some time, put a wrapper around it, which makes it usable for a larger audience, not just Python geeks. And now what you have done is you have taken some very specialized piece, some very useful piece, and you have made it available for others to use who otherwise did not have the capability of using it, but would have benefited from these kind of tools, right? Absolutely. So these are the five ones. I'll quickly recap 
and then I'll kind of we'll go one by one and hear your thoughts on it. Encode knowledge, encode efficiency and effectiveness, um, encode comprehensiveness, encode repeatability, and encode uh, usability. So, um, such an uh, I'll go one by one. So, encodes knowledge. What's what's your experience around it? What kind of recommendations do you have there? There is, uh, uh, I mean, every organization, whenever they are working on something, whether it is designing, whether it is delivering, whether it is providing some services to somebody, uh, they are creating these new ways of uh, uh, operating, achieving efficiencies, or making a, a differentiation from themselves to uh, their competition. Uh, I was watching a movie, uh, Founders, which is about uh, uh, McDonald's history. And the, the point was that uh, two people who uh, created this process of how to deliver burger fast. And that was the most unique uh, process or the asset was they actually had, but they did not limit themselves to that. They devised working stations, cutting boats, uh, frying stations, packing stations, uh, all those things. And they trained people in doing that. But what did they achieve is that there is this process in which you can create a burger and deliver it in 60 seconds. And that was the best uh, thing to dis uh, um, differentiate from the competition. Now, uh, you can think about the similar approach. And what you uh, beautifully laid out is, I'm, I'm talking about culmination of all of that. Right, right. When you are thinking about it, these are components which you spoke and you need to think what is the efficiency factor which I can extract out of it? What is the comprehensiveness factor which I can extract out of it? But uh, to package all of it, you have to have a very solid product thinking. Packaging attitude is like this. I can, I can take uh, some bit of knowledge which is unique to us, some bit of uh, uh, efficiencies which I have created over my uh, 10 years of uh, working with this set of customers. Uh, by the way, I like this output in certain fashion. I like these type of details to be provided to my customer. And uh, here is the comprehensiveness which I achieve. And that's what my customers like. A um, couple of uh, financial advisors with whom I worked, they were beautiful in their report. I do not know how good they are at the financial advice. But when they produce that uh, uh, report, which is their outcome, you, you'll know in few years when your uh, investment tank or go up. <laughs> but the best part about their business is Dinkar. Uh, they, I don't need to know how good they are uh, today. <laughs> I, I decide based on the outcome of the report, not yeah. actually uh, their track record. Right? Obviously, the track record matters, but the track record is. Uh, based on past data and financial markets, it doesn't work. Either. So without dilution, you got a good report out of it. Yeah. yeah, I got a good report, and that comprehensiveness actually matters. Right. Um, it is it is really critical that how you present your information to your people, and your reusability and usability hit me really hard. Um, without a very solid uh, approach of product thinking, it is so difficult. Uh, to think about, hey, uh, what portion needs to be packaged so that this is a unit which needs to be repeated over and over and over and over again. And still make it generic enough that the uh, rest of your organization can contribute to this innovation. 
they can actually make it more uh, uh, wide reaching. If, if let's say you create only one asset, this is my whole uh, distillation of my organizational practice, then it is not a great idea. But maybe you want to create these smaller units, which are Lego blocks for your business to assetize. And then you don't need to assetize everything. Right. You can actually asset things which are uh, highest impact and least amount of effort in the beginning. And then you can go more and more comprehensiveness from that. Usability is, I mean, hard hitting to me, to be very honest. Um, many times people are creating things in the wild, uh, which is their point of view, but they are not uh, paying so much attention to how this is going to be easy for people to consume. Today, Dinkar, the biggest problem I see, personally, I'm feeling this as well, is there is so much cognitive load on me. And if for adoption of an asset, I need to uh, read 40 pages PDF and then uh, spend, let's say, uh, a two-day dedicated to practice how to do that, I think I will have a um, little the hard time to adopt yes. to that asset. Yeah. And that kind of leads to another uh, very interesting set of questions. I, um, I'm happy you brought uh, the aspect of product thinking is... Uh, how do you choose what asset to invest in? What as you know, what part of ways of working to actually go and assetize? How do you choose uh, when is enough? Um, you know, you don't want to throw five hundred assets at a team of ten people and say go choose between them or use all of them, right? And that's where uh, the outcome-driven thinking becomes very important, right? Yes. Um, you know, uh, ha have some principles of your organization. If you are a product uh, organization, uh, putting out a product, uh, if let, let's say you're a SaaS product, uh, putting out a feature as fast as possible is um, a very important um, uh, goal for the engineering team, for example. Uh, you know, like this, different organizations have different kind of uh, goals, right? And then uh, it, be, it and um, then go see that if I if I bring this kind of asset, it uh, encodes knowledge um, A and another asset in, encodes a knowledge B. Knowledge B is on critical path for me to push new features and capabilities out in the market faster. So obviously go and prioritize encoding of knowledge B. Build an asset around that, right? So prioritization and uh, you know uh, not creating a deluge of assets becomes very important. And the best way to prioritize is usually not. Uh, I I I uh, one of my pet worry is this um, you know low hanging fruit uh, uh, syndrome, right? So many times developers, product managers will think, oh, this feature is small. Um, it takes few uh, you know minutes to do it um, it's sufficiently useful it's a low hanging fruit let's implement it nothing in world is low hanging it it's an illusion of low because okay it may be a small effort for the developer but for the person who's going to test it the team which is going to put into the production uh, the team which has to support it the team that has to do a secops review of it all those teams it is still work, similar amount of work, 
right? Then it goes out. Now you have a piece of functionality out in the market, which has sufficient value, but you, it, tomorrow it could lead to a bug. Tomorrow it could lead to a, a request for refinement. You have added, uh, you know, uh, in some way, a debt now for why? Because at the time of development, at that moment, you felt it's a low hanging fruit, right? So prioritization that, hey, this is easy to implement. Let's implement this asset first. No, it's a low hanging fruit. It's low effort. It gives sufficient output. No, these are quote unquote project or efficiency or, uh, you know, a very narrow view of prioritization. The prioritization should be, this is our goal. Does this asset put us on a better path towards that goal? Yes, go for it. Now that bunch of those you have, if within those bunch of those you want to go A versus B based on some prioritization around the complexity or something, I'll still understand. That should be the second or the third uh, factor in your prioritization, not the first one. First one should never be, you know, it's faster, quicker, less complicated, low hanging fruit. First should be, does it give me that value? Yes, 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 yes. All those that give you that value, first go and focus on them. And that's where this outcome driven thinking, product thinking becomes very important when someone is looking at all the possibilities in your ways of working, where what you can assetize and say that, let me hold on to that. Let me add it to my backlog and when the right moment is there, I'll have something ready. So I think um, having that clear view of the goal of the organization and then be able to analyze that this asset puts me on a fast track to achieving that goal should be the prioritization and not um, this team likes this technology. We, we should know, you know, many times I've seen, oh, the team is interested in learning these kind of technologies. So we thought of this asset we'll build using this technology. And, you know, we'll have, uh, you know, two birds, one stone. No, you have actually created a weight of, you know, four stones in your final because now you have to maintain it and so on and so forth. I completely uh, believe in that philosophy of not actually thinking about just automating for the sake of it or because it is easier. Uh, it's a very tactical view of getting something done. Uh, what I also uh, see is that technology industry has been good at creating assets. They just didn't know they are creating assets mm. uh, or they don't advertise it as assets. Uh, they uh, think of this as internal tools. They think of this as, oh, I wrote a library. Uh, if you think one of the greatest set of inventions came out of this product thinking, uh, mm. there is a problem. But people, the really great products which uh, were internal and they became external, they were not created because of what you just mentioned is the uh, quick win type of yeah. thinking it was linked fundamentally to their strategy or how they want to make a differentiation aws is a great example amazon web services was an internal product at some point in time they were creating it for themselves because they felt this is going to provide them strategic advantage and right. when they started doing it uh, at some point of time they felt but the world can benefit from it yeah and it can be a good business opportunity for us or Kubernetes was an internal tool and that was actually brought out uh, to the world and 
we know this i mean like everybody is now talking about kubernetes it's ubiquitous yeah, yeah. and uh, maybe that's another topic on once you have identified these assets and you are using them uh, what kind of lens to put on them and say that hey you know what these two assets probably they can be productized we can put a revenue model uh, around it and uh, we can uh, identify a target set of uh, target and go uh, sell to them this is again a fundamentally the same thought process that i called up uh, called out in the uh, earliest round right you have something couple of more users found it useful you shared with them more people found it useful who have no context of why and how it was built they just found the outcome useful and within the organization and at some point someone will think you know what i came from that organization if i had something like this i would have found it useful and you kind of package it into something uh, legal and uh, with the revenue model on top of it put it out there spin it off as a separate organization or making part of your product uh, list go sell it to others is the same thought process going over and uh, over again iteratively and uh, dinkar whenever people think about hey i i want to create an asset i i want to request them do not think about big things yes do not try to pack a lot of value uh, un- until that it is not a viable thing i i'll give you a very simple example i was reading this book uh, the mckinsey mind and mm. uh, in that book there is a chapter about waterfall chart mm. and, uh, and uh, i don't even still see it in many places but what mckinsey uh, uh, i don't know who created it uh, there is a name given in that book but the fellow who uh, created set of charts for mckinsey it was actually institutionalized that yes. these are the charts these are the stencils these are the colors these are how you present it this is a great asset uh, yeah and they they did it so that all mckinsey charts look in a certain fashion and this waterfall chart was something which was new it didn't exist can you can you believe it could be a visualization and that creates market differentiation yes and they did it and uh, what you need to think about it is not everything has to be a coded tool yes. uh, asset is something which fits into the five criteria which you mentioned that that thing provides you some very unique value and as you mentioned it should be Uh, rather than bottom up of okay what can i just quickly convert into an asset it should be why i need to actually do something what is unique thing for me and how i can package it so that i can uh, make it accessible to a wider audience in my company and create that differentiation i think that is fundamental thinking it's the other way around they have to go and this is a difficult part about also asset based thinking is you cannot just say uh, identify all the uh, common things create that into asset i mean that's uh, that will be uh, a very wrong strategy to yeah. go about creating an asset catalog yeah that that won't take you anywhere and you'll have now a burden of things you have published and publicized and you have to maintain it with no takers uh, if you take that approach and i'm very happy you called out um, that uh, asset need not always be piece of code and then and it it's a trap to think yeah. that um, asset means i have to bunch of developers are needed right no and that's why you know encoding knowledge 
it could be set off, uh, you know, just a decision tree. You gave the idea, a very good example of visualization, right? So, uh, you know, it's very important for all of us to keep in mind is that there are different ways of delivering value in an organization. Um, techies, we uh, post-technical people and technical people think that the code is the only way of transferring value from A to B. From I, I am creating something valuable to the organization by writing the code. No, there are so many other things of uh, doing it, right? Um, uh, so I think assets are again something very tangible way of doing that and, and, and I hope more and more uh, people uh, do that. Uh, the other thing around, uh, you know, uh, assets that uh, often comes up uh, when you are looking at these prioritization and this is little uh, counterintuitive to product thinking is um, in your prioritization if you noticed I never mentioned the cost of building the asset and the ROI of the asset, right? I, I don't think that uh, we should start with that thought process with the asset. And that's why when an asset is encoding knowledge, it is uh, bringing comprehensiveness to your ways of working, it's making more kind of capabilities uh, usable to people who do not have those kind of capabilities, it's talking about repeatability. Uh, you at that early on till they uh, have proven themselves as being true. The hypothesis of the asset has been proven itself prematurely trying to pick some model, figuring out uh, what is the ROI of it in dollar terms, I think can be a disservice. Some of useful assets may drop because the person who created that asset or the person who uh, advocated for that uh, asset or the team that wanted to saw the value in that asset may or may not have all the analysis or chops to come up with dollar analysis of that upfront. So I think, um, you know, uh, every organization should have an almost like an adoption cycle of an asset within their organization. They should Absolutely. allow, they should allow anyone and everyone to, uh, propose an asset, maybe even do things on their side to find, to create an asset, find set of users, see that it is helping others, see that it is helping others who have no context of why it was built, how it was built. They just love the outcome of it. Let it spread. And uh, only when uh, it needs some serious, uh, you know, investment, at that time, look at the spread, look at the value it has brought, talk to the people it has brought value to, and at that time, probably do some kind of uh, bets uh, uh, and uh, value cost benefit uh, analysis. So I think it's very important to let an asset marinate for some time till it uh, reveals its possibilities or uh, reveals that, uh, you know, maybe the larger it was a good idea it served set of people but maybe it's not something that all of the organization needs absolutely and uh, one one thing which i would like to go a little bit further as well is when you create asset catalog of things which you are maintaining in your organization um, the biggest problem which you uh, will face is the obsolescence obsolescence of these assets some of these assets are not relevant. Some of these assets are actually outdated. Some of these assets have 
not been as successful as you want there as well that product thinking is extremely important to cut off the things which are not valuable to you because every uh, i mean like you have to follow the principle of body right is uh, you uh, you went to gym it was a phase you built huge set of muscles on your body and then uh, if you are not using those muscles then body starts shedding them so that it can conserve itself uh, at an optimal energy consumption so similar principle applies here is you cannot uh, just think of this asset catalog and it's a pile of things as it grows my pride grows in it yeah, you should think about what is absolutely critical essential and be ruthless about maintenance of it things right. which are getting used evolve them faster things which are not working out for you cut them uh, as fast as possible uh, i think the uh, couple of times you spoke about the fail fast uh, uh, mentality is you you identify what is uh, not working as soon as possible and then cut it off or improve it or change your approach build something new so it, this is a continuous process you cannot just actually say every year i'll figure out what assets i want to build next year yeah you you have to be vigilant about where the possibilities are what i want to do and how i want to grow from here so uh, and i i keep going back to product thinking uh, although you are expert at it it's i i seriously feel that it is a, a skill which needs to be honed and mastered yeah you need to be able to think about uh, it's like a difference between a, a blogger and a writer right a blogger can actually blog about anything what is top of their mind uh, and that's i would say is like the quick when thinking right i a topic came to my mind i had something to say i expressed myself low cost of actually getting to market and audience i i, I did my job i feel good about it but uh, writers are the ones who say here are these 10 ideas and these 10 ideas uh, form one big um uh, like pile of ideas and then this is a very comprehensive thing and i can now uh, bundle these into a bigger point and that point goes to my audience that's that's product thinking to me is you are not thinking in isolation you are not thinking about these quick wins you are not thinking and uh, when these writers actually go out and write even a forward for somebody else hmm. look at how concise and effective they are so not every asset needs to be 200 page book right. it can be a simple two page forward as well so i'm thinking the spectrum is very wide for assets the critical part is what is an asset that definition in your mind what what you want to convert and then how you want to take it to the market so that's all it matters right i think the organization should be very clear on that you know one thing that on fail fast one thing that i always think is that every asset should be auto delete means uh, if it doesn't meet this kind of criteria in this period of time it just deletes uh, it's no longer useful it served its use otherwise you know you cannot say oh we have built it let it be there maybe someone will need it it's it's then becomes a burden to maintain it it becomes a security uh, you know infosec risk at some point so uh, part of product thinking and uh, today i was talking to a set of folks is that we think of measure of success but we don't like to think of measure of failure we thinking of we think about a product development we don't think about product sunset we we have to think of all those things there's one more um, fallacy that i've uh, want to call out is that creating assets is not um, 
responsibility of a team you cannot have oh we will have an assets team you cannot have that oh we will have an innovation team and they will innovate we will have an assets team these assets because they are encoding ways of working that means the people who are doing that work would be the best candidate right you may probably have some kind of central team which is cataloging and bringing it together giving them guidance that probably makes sense you may have some team which is uh, on hyperdrive and has a lot of experience and are churning are in that creative mode and they're churning for a certain period of time lot of assets but that that's that that's not the right way of encoding the whole ways of working as creating those assets you need it to be a, a democratic uh, you know contribution everyone should uh, contribute so i think these two things add up into uh, you know how an organization should decide what an asset is prioritize those assets encourage everyone to come up with these assets and know when to say bye bye to an asset uh, you had a good run uh, it's not you it's me and kind of rm absolutely i mean uh, plus 100 to that it is very critical and i was alluding to that point earlier as well thanks for bringing that clarity into it is uh, you cannot just think about maintaining an infinite assets catalog Right. that is not healthy that is not practical that is not uh, feasible as well for your any size team first of all uh, you just rightly called out you cannot actually think about assets as a team yeah there could be there are always people who are librarians there are always people who are actually uh, guiding principles there are people who are defining a process there are people who are shepherding it but you cannot think about that only 10 people in my company are responsible to create assets Uh, uh that um, a famous quote from ratatouille right is uh, chef gusto says that anybody can cook but the towards the end of the movie uh, he realizes that uh, uh, like a cook can come from anywhere a chef can come from anywhere it's not that everybody can cook so uh, the assets can come from any part of your organization uh but what what you should think about is you should allow that process to evolve allow people to create and contribute and evolve them yeah maybe one of the future discussions could be that uh, he how to know that which assets can be taken out to the market what uh, what are the things to keep in mind there and uh, one of the things that i think we should discuss and you know in, in my mind i have not really solved this problem is uh, you have this catalog and you have an organization which is spread across you know you have 1 lakh 2 lakh 100000 200000 employees you spread globally different uh, you know massive enterprises right um how do you improve the discoverability of assets within the organization um, it, it will be an interesting uh, topic uh, we can discuss and would love to hear your thoughts on that absolutely yeah so till then sachin see you thank Bye-bye. you so much yeah